everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Wesley, speaking, and today I have a very special guest, uh, our video producer himself, Andrew O'Hara. How you doing, Andrew? Great. It is true. I have been called special, so thank you. <laughs> I mean, c- come on. You're, you do some incredible work over at uh, Apple Insider. If anyone who's been on our YouTube page before has seen that, you've probably seen a baby bouncing around in some of the videos. Uh perhaps even a dog uh, or Faith, who also, his girlfriend, who or wife even. Are you married? <laughs> yes. You yes. guys got married recently, didn't you? My goodness. I mean, it's Time been a flies. While, but it, has, it does seem like it's gone very fast. When I joined Apple Insider, you weren't married. So my brain is True. stuck in a time capsule in 2019. We are sponsored by Fastmail and Notion. Let's uh, just jump right into the episode, shall we? So iOS 17.3 uh, beta began this week. We got 17.2 with journal out in the public, out in the world. I want to hear what everyone's doing with that. I'm very excited for the journal app, and I'm very sad to say that it seems we are not going to get any backwards fill-in from apps like Day One or anything like that. So I've been manually adding Day One to Apple Journal. What about you, Andrew? Have you have you been using Apple Journal at all? I really haven't. I'm not much of a, a journaler. journaler. Um, I, right now in my life, I feel like I'm very busy with things, with, with work, with the kid, uh, with even holidays right now, um, prep for CES. I just, every second of my time is like consumed. So for me, if I sit there and I'm like, man, I have five minutes right now, I'd probably rather play like a game and turn my mind off a little bit, uh, versus journaling it's not to say that i won't pick it up maybe in next year but i did try to use it copiously during the beta phase just so that i could accurately cover it inside of our videos and hands-on and i the main thing that i personally like is the suggestions because those have have been very cool it's like hey you had a night out at uh this brewing company why don't you tell me about it and i'm like oh that is cool and i can jump in and you know add a couple photos that from when we were there and write about it and even if it's not necessarily like uh, maybe your regular journaling. It's just kind of nice to be able to, to save like kind of a memory yeah. about what we did. That's, that's my recommendation to anyone listening who isn't into journaling, who maybe didn't have day one or these other apps before, uh, just open the Apple journal app, hit that plus button and grab a suggestion, maybe twice a week, once a week, even just catalog little events in your life because you don't need to do the day by day. The suggestions will even span several days if you take a trip like i did i visited gatlinburg recently for kind of a holiday birthday trip for someone and uh, we were there for a few days and it just summed it up as a suggestion as you were here for in gatlinburg on these days going to these locations and it was a perfect like encapsulation of the trip and you can go in there and just comment like we did this we had fun um, mark maybe a favorite restaurant or whatever and then just leave it there. And then in the future, maybe uh, when Apple actually adds widgets to this app, it'll suggest, hey, you you put this entry in last year. Do you want to revisit that memory? And I think it's a good way to catalog your life. The way I'm treating it, of course, is a journal. I actually do journaling. But the way I, I envision it is it's kind of like having a social media wall without the social aspect of it. It's a private wall that allows you to have memories and recall them, see your images in a sorted, organized way. Um, and as more apps and things get to suggest stuff to the journal app, we'll, it will only get more detailed. And uh, one thing I've noticed as I've been backfilling day one, I've done about 40 entries so far, a thousand to go. Woo. Um, I've noticed putting them into day one, I get to add more information like uh, location data with the, with the Apple Maps. Um, system that they have, which is more refined, I think, than day one's location system. Um, I'm adding more images than I did originally in day one, and uh, just kind of even going in and adding text notes saying, this is this part's from day one, and this part's from me, um, present day, Wesley, and this is what I thought about that day. Just kind of like backfilling all of that in. It's been kind of fun for me so far, so I just want to hear what everyone has to uh, say about Apple Journal if you've been, if you haven't had a chance to play with it till now with the public release, but we're not talking about Apple Journal today. Uh, I want to talk about iOS 17.3. We got a little sidetracked. Two big features in 17.3. Collaborative Apple Music playlists are back, and we have the stolen device protection, which is a new feature. And uh, Andrew, I want you to tell me a little bit about 
uh, collaborative playlists? What do you think? So I, uh, these are huge and I have talked to, so a lot of folks I know use Spotify and one of the things they told me that like, there's like two features that they were looking for that Apple music didn't offer. And the first one was like a, a party mode where you could like join like a queue and everyone could add music. And then the second one was like collaborative playlist. And now Apple has essentially taken care of both of these kind of, uh, missing features, which I think is going to be huge for the people who are there and may act as motivation for people who are not in Apple Music yet to maybe make the jump over. So I, I think this is fantastic. I've been waiting for this feature because my wife and I will do like the shared ones, but you can't you can't collaborate. You can like you know add somebody else's playlist, but you can't like collaborate and work together. So I am I am all for this. I know this was in 17.2. It was hoping to be released by the end of the year, but it didn't make it. Uh, based on track record, uh, 17.3 could release by the end of January, based on 15.3 and 16.3 in the last two years. So we can kind of hope for that. These last point releases, yeah, 0.345, those ones usually come like a month apart. They're they're much faster than the first couple of point releases. So exactly, uh, January January definitely looks like a, a good window for this one. And there's not a lot going on here. And I think Apple, this being a security focused release, Apple's going to want it out to get it out sooner rather than later. It's too bad that they couldn't have it ready in time for New Year's because this would would have made a good um, New Year's. Uh, Absolutely. Kind of like, hey, before you before you go out partying or whatever, update to 17.3 because it will protect you from thieves. And uh, so to close on collaborative playlists real quick, I'll say I'm very excited for those. We're going to be using them to uh, plan our wedding and we're going to be using them just for personal playlists with friends. Like it's it, it looks like a lot of fun. I like that there's emoji reactions in there. Give me collaboration stuff everywhere. Give me emoji reactions everywhere. Just collaborations, all the things. It's like I've gone ad nauseum about it before on the apple insider podcast it's like apple's actually pretty good at social when it wants to be um and they've only been getting better so apple's non-social media network of the iphone um because they'll never call it one is uh actually turning into quite the thing and we'll talk about beeper here in a little bit about how iMessage continues to elude android but um i believe these kinds of features are what's going to be the future um what what's it called uh, lock-in it's going to be the future lock-in for iphone versus just iMessage as iMessage has always been the stable point but um as regulation is going to take iMessage away probably eventually maybe um maybe we'll see more differentiation across ecosystems using these collaboration features these social tools that only exist on apple platforms but we'll get into it as they arise um Anyway, iOS 17.3 introduces a new feature called stolen device protection. And I think this is pretty fascinating. Um, it's the, if anyone here remembers, Wall Street Journal had a pretty interesting uh, story about thieves, shoulder surfing, people at bars, uh sports venues, just in places where it might be very easy to see other people's displays. Since this uh, report came out, I've now been paying more attention I see people putting their passcodes everywhere. It's they don't, you know, it's not like the ATM or something. They're not trying to hide it. They just put in their passcode and I can just see what their passcode is to their phone. It's uh, kind of wild that yes, it's a protection on our phone, but we're, we're kind of just don't care, but also, yeah, we're probably in an environment where we're not worried about people stealing our things, but apply that lacks uh, mentality to being in public spheres, like a bar and now you're in danger because if someone gets a hold of that passcode, all they have to do is maybe they maybe they're recording a video, maybe they're just good at memorizing numbers and they see you type it in once they remember it. All they have to do then is get a hold of your phone and just sprint out the door. Now they can change their your Apple ID password. They can change your um, connected contacts for security. It just all of that stuff can be changed just with your passcode. They can basically take over your entire Apple ID, all the information on it, do whatever they want with it, go make Apple Pay purchases. It's a bad deal. Um, not happening to, to a lot of people, it, but it does happen enough that it made it to the Wall Street Journal. Well, Apple has finally uh, addressed the situation with a system called Stolen Device Protection, which basically introduces a two-step system. One, Biometrics are now required for a lot more systems 
with no passcode fallback. That's the important part. So even if a thief has your passcode, maybe they can get into your phone, but they can't change anything without biometrics. And step two is a one hour delay between biometric entries, which uh, requires part one, you have to input the biometric to change, like you're gonna change your Apple ID password. Face ID is gonna happen. And then it's gonna say, would you like to start the one hour delay? You hit the button and then you, and then one hour later it says, okay, biometrics again, face ID happens. And now you can change your Apple ID password. And this only occurs outside of trusted locations like your home or work. So I think this is actually a pretty good solution. The way Apple has it put together makes it pretty much near impossible for a thief to do anything too dramatic with your phone once they have it. Uh, what do you think, Andrew? I think this is going to be huge. I mean, Apple has, has a really big uphill battle to fight in terms of iPhones. And we see the pushback from it all the time when it maybe has to do with like repair policies and, um, you know, other security features that it adds because it is, a, it can be an extra step for users. I mean, I know Apple half has like motivation to do their repairs itself and making money off repairs, but at the same time, you know, a stolen iPhone can be disassembled and, and sold off for parts. But when Apple does things like verify where these parts came from and do like these self checks upon the repair, it's also helping to ensure that parts aren't being, you know, certain parts aren't being sold off and still being worth a bunch of money. And now we're looking at something like this where now you can't even do, you can do even less when you steal that iPhone. And it gives less in incentive for thieves to steal these phones. And this was definitely a glaring gap that Apple had in, you know, it, its security, you know, tool belt. And now I think this is going to go a long way. I think this is going to be a huge thing. This was big enough for Wall Street Journal to pick up as a story. And like you said, I've noticed so many people putting in passcodes uh, just right there in public. And I'm like, man, I could just know everyone's passcode if I wanted to and pick the easy mark, you steal a phone, and now you have access to all their passwords that you've saved in Safari and iCloud, you could have access to, which could be bank accounts. It could be two-factor authentication codes for bank account. Like you can have so much access just by, you know, having access to that passcode. And there was nothing kind of stopping it other than just don't use it. And, and now there's actually something to help. Yeah, that's right, listeners. Me and Andrew have actually been the ones stealing everyone's phones and passcodes. You okay, figured well, you it out. Don't tell everyone on the podcast. <laughs> What's wild about this is it's human error, right? So Apple has all the security in place. It, it all works, right? It's just revealing your passcode inadvertently in public is such a human element that Apple can't address or account for. And I can hear everyone, you know, turn off the passcode. Why not just do biometrics? There has to be a fallback. Um, I uh, heard from Apple, um, basically, what happens if you break your phone, right? What happens if you, you drop your phone in a way that the face ID sensor stops working? Your passcode's turned off. What do you do now, right? There has to be a fallback. There's so many situations where just having face ID is could be, could be a problem and could potentially lose you data or find yourself in a bind. Um, that passcode is going to be necessary. So turning it off all together is just not going to be an option, not anytime soon, not without some alternative form of verification in the future, which just does not exist right now. Option two, people, I can hear you screaming through the podcast, uh, screen time. No, the, the screen time thing works until you realize that you can use your passcode to change your screen time passcode by claiming you forgot your screen time passcode. I, I, I'm pr I'm fairly certain that's how that works. Um, uh, you can correct me on that, Andrew. But um, having the system passcode just gets you access to everything. And while, yes, you need the screen time passcode uh, to, so starting over, you can set screen time to turn off the ability to change Apple ID passwords or system passwords or pa device passcodes, sure. And then set a separate passcode for screen time for that. But then if you go into screen time and say, I forgot my screen time passcode, I'm pretty sure it defaults back to logging in with your Apple ID, which uses a biometric, which falls back to the passcode. Anyway, it you're, you're ruined if someone has your passcode, right? Um, stolen device protection takes away all of that. Uh, biometrics are required. There, there's actually a little list here. Normally when you're using 
your iPhone and biometrics fail, maybe you've used your mom's iPhone before you've noticed this, it automatically just pops up and says, enter the passcode to continue and you can just continue. And that's fine. From now, for as long as stolen device protection is turned on and you are not at home and the biometrics fail on these systems, no passcode will appear and you just won't be able to do it. So uh, the, the, this would occur when you're using passwords or pass keys um, in Safari, applying for an Apple card, viewing your Apple virtual card, which is where your card number and CVV number are, um, turning off loss mode, erasing all content and settings. So you're not going to be able to wipe an iPhone and remove your Apple ID. Um, you can't use Apple cash or Apple savings, uh, using a passcode. You won't be able to, um, change payment methods in Safari or use the iPhone to set up a new device, which is like setting up an iPad and that which would give you access to a device without device protection turned on, for example. None of those will work um, unless biometrics are present, literally your face. So unless they steal your phone, your passcode and your face, you're fine. Um, the security delay is the added level of protection. So no passcode fallback for those systems. Uh, by the way, Passcode fallback does still occur in certain places. It's not turned off completely. If you're using, say, a banking app um, and they haven't changed, you know, their API systems to reflect uh, security, the the new protection system, um, it will still fall back to passcode or certain things in the phone. It's just not everything, but those sensitive uh, systems that I just mentioned specifically are the ones Apple called out as biometric only. And sorry, I'll, I'll hush in a second, let Andrew speak, but security delay occurs. This is the next level of protection to ensure nothing bad can happen. Uh, when you're trying to change your Apple ID, account settings, passcode, trying to remove face ID or touch ID, trying to turn off find my, or trying to turn off stolen device protection. How, how easy would it be to just use the passcode to turn off stolen device protection? Correct. So in order for this time delay to happen, your biometrics have to be present. And the reason why this time delay exists and any of this matters, and I, I was curious about this too, is because everyone loves the scenario. I've heard it on Daring Fireball. I've heard it in several podcasts uh, popular in the Apple sphere. What happens if you're sitting at a cafe table enjoying your coffee, Andrew? And I know you I know you do this frequently. You go to your little local French cafe. You have your baguette. You have a scarf on. And uh, you're just reading the local newspaper and your iPhone's laying on the table and a thief just walks up and grabs it, scans your face and runs away, right? I've heard this scenario so many times. It must happen every day. I don't know. Um, okay. Now that this delay is in, first they sneak up, grab your phone. They enter your passcode or scan your face. Then they go to the settings app. Then they go to change your passcode. And then they scan your face again <laughs> to change the passcode. Uh, or change your Apple ID password. Well, now they have to wait an hour. So they're just going to stand by your table while you politely let them steal your phone while you're reading your newspaper and then scan your face again in order to change your password. That's how that time delay works. And so sure, if in the unbelievable situation that they get two biometrics from you in the first place immediately, there's no way unless they literally kidnap you or do a face off, um, that they're going to have your face again an hour later, unless they're somehow stealing from you silently while also stalking you. I don't know how that would happen either. So Apple has a pretty good fail safe system, a uh, foolproof system here. And uh, I would be interested in seeing if anyone can figure out how to make it break. But uh, from what I can tell, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, foolproof. What do you think, Andrew? Well, here's my question. And so a few people had written to me about this in, uh, in our coverage, which is, what happens if you don't notice within that hour? And some people had actually posited right. maybe uh, increasing that duration or giving you an option to increase that duration, a user accessible option. Because if you're doing something like, um, people have heard uh, of this happening like in movie theaters. You, you put your passcode in or something uh, at the register, then you go in, they sit behind you, and they're able to slip the phone out of your pocket, your coat, whatever, while you're sitting there and you sit through a movie and it's more than an hour and they're off with your phone before you've even had a chance to check. Um, the same thing goes at like, you know, a, a concert or a football game or something like that, where there's going to be a time where you may not notice it um, quickly enough. So that that's a really good question. While this goes, I think, a, so, a, a good length, but I don't know if it goes enough in certain situations. I actually had the same question. So people think that the one hour delay is to 
at the end of the hour, you can put in a passcode as a fallback. You never get to put in the passcode with the system. Um, you need the biometrics present. So even in that situation, if someone steals your phone and somehow gets past the first biometric check, they'll never get past the second one unless they still have your face present. And, and okay, maybe in the movie theater situation, they've stolen your phone out of your pocket. They know the passcode. They go to settings. They have to flash the phone in front of your face to get that but biometric then, or steal your thumbprint. So then what's the point of an hour? And then wait delay? an hour and do it again? What's the point of an hour delay? I mean, I guess make it make an hour, but uh, if it still requires biometric to turn off. Yeah, so that's that's what I was getting at. This is, this is what confused me. This is that s- scenario I told you about. They get into setting. They get your passcode. They get into settings. They go to change your Apple ID password, and then it requires a biometric. They're still there. I don't know, at the movie theater, at the cafe table, whatever, they managed to get you to look at your phone with attention awareness on, scan your face, a successful biometric occurs. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but having a phone flash in front of your face is a pretty obvious thing, (laughs) especially if you have to look at it, and then they sprint away. Do you think that's going to happen a second time an hour later? Because after that, so they've successfully gotten past that first biometric through sheer luck because you didn't know your phone was stolen and a thing was flashing in your face and you just look at it because it's instinct and now your phone's on uh did the biometric and it passed the first one are they going to do that a second time an hour later because again the passcode never comes into play in this system i thought that's what it meant that after an hour you would get to use the passcode or something that is not the case it's biometric front end and biometric back end and the thief can never even start the one hour delay if the biometric isn't present at the beginning the hour delay is there in case of exactly that scenario that I described or the one that you described is the thief may be able to have access to your face immediately but it seems impossible that after an hour delay that they would have access to your face a second time, unless you were just a kidnap victim. Um, and changing that, the length of that delay doesn't really make any difference here. Um, an hour seems, uh, positive enough and most of the time you should be able to recognize hopefully unless it's the movie theater center so maybe two hours but sometime in that day you'll recognize your phone is missing and then you can put it in loss mode i saw jonah stern say in the wall street journal to if you realize your phone's been stolen to factory erase it i don't know that i would go that far um unless you just go ahead and determine you're never going to see that phone again um Definitely put it in lock. Uh, go ahead and lock it down and put it in uh, the, the the stolen mode or the lost mode um, feature, and put a message on the screen of like you know we know where you are or whatever, <laughs> and tell the police and get them involved. Don't go get your own phone by yourself. You'll you'll probably get shot. Um, go through that system, but but uh, forcing it to factory reset it immediately seems a little dramatic, especially since once you put it in um, loss mode, they're not going to be able to get into it. Um, even with your passcode anymore, I think uh, at that point you will need, um, your Apple ID, uh, password to get in, which they shouldn't know. Um, they won't be able to access without your biometrics. Again, the system is, seems to cover all the basis points. So uh, if anyone has any questions, Oh, please. What happens if you turn it on and then, uh, you do your first biometric or whatever, but then you've broken your camera within that hour and now face ID don't work. Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why there are trusted locations. So that's <laughs> when you go home and you're able to do what you need to do with your phone because then the passcode will be allowed to be used for everything. So what if they know where you work? So that's that's the other thing is... so. Apple can't cover everything. Just like, you know, if you remember face ID, they're like, yeah, it's so much more secure than touch ID. But if you have an evil twin, there's nothing you can do. And it's a little tongue in cheek because how many, the, there's only so many people in the population that have twins. It is a bigger number than you think, but it's not that big. And that twin has to have malicious intent, steal your phone and unlock your phone. Right. So it's just like, Apple's is like, we're just not going to account for this. It's like less than a percent of a percent of a person. Like one human on earth is going to have this evil twin problem. Um, I think this is a similar scenario. So many things have to break down. The person has to know who you are, know where you work, get your passcode, get your device, get past your biometric, go to your place of work or home. At that point, it was easier to kidnap you from the beginning. Might as well just steal the house and burn it. Whatever your intent is, it's well beyond like... It's just a scenario Apple doesn't need to cover because it's so extreme, so out there that 
there's probably other failings in that life and that relationship that will lead to police and intervention before <laughs> any of this can occur. It just, it just seems like an unnatural scenario that Apple wouldn't have to account for. But what I was going to say is if anyone has any questions about this, uh, please hit me up on Mastodon. Uh, I'll still see your Twitter notifications. So if you ask me a question there, I'll answer. I'm just not really active there. Let me let me know what you think about this system. If you if you come up with a secret scenario that no one else has thought of that that'll that'll trick it, I'd like to know. But um, from what I can tell, uh, there is no way for a thief to the so to be clear, the issue wasn't you know Apple's not you know stopping the phone from getting stolen. The phone's still getting stolen. The issue was the thief was able to use your passcode to change your Apple ID password, lock the, your lock the owner of the iPhone out of their Apple ID. St- and then just have free reign to steal whatever they want from the Apple ID systems, from Safari, uh, saved credit card information, everything, just full access because of just knowing the passcode and having the phone in hand. And this completely destroys that. Now, they'll still be able to get in your phone uh, until you turn on loss mode um, and view your photos and stuff like that. So I recommend using the hidden folder, any photos that you don't want out there, um, just whatever they might be, put them in the hidden folder because that's behind a biometric. You guessed it. So um, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on here and I'm interested in seeing how it evolves. This is just iteration one, just like lockdown mode. Uh, all Apple security features get touched on as time goes forward, but I feel like I've been talking a lot. So I will let Andrew take over the... Well, I want to do one last thing. We're not, we don't have to talk about it, but I am just curious uh, if we're going to see this in 17.3 because I don't think we saw it in 17.2. I apologize for being the smart home person uh, that was thinking about this right away. Was Matter 1.2, which is adding things like robotic vacuum cleaners, washing machines, and right. all this other stuff to the home app. And while Apple, you know, fully supports Matter, you know, it's up to after Matter 1.2 is released, which has been weeks now, you have to wait for the main, for the you know the device makers to add this. So I think we're going to see you know new devices soon with this stuff. And I'm curious what we're going to see from Apple. Yeah, the only issue here is it's not so much just putting the switch in HomeKit and saying, and now vacuums are supported. Apple has to completely update the Home app. It's not, you know, and so they're going to have to add icons and systems and controls, just all of these things to address all these new devices that just didn't exist before. They're not going to make... I mean, they could make the vacuum cleaner into a light switch that just turns on and off, but that would be silly, right? I I don't see Apple going, you know, that route here. I think they're going to go full on in, which is why 1.2, Matter 1.2 could definitely happen in 17 somewhere, maybe 17.3, maybe 17.4. But depending on, I don't know, Apple's so weird that this... I think it's going to be very, very... This could be 18. I don't don't think so. I hope so. I don't think so because the way that matter is structured is these are what's being introduced in matter is super basic commands. Like for a robot vacuum cleaner, it's not going to support mapping and all that stuff. What you're going to get is a vacuum, a a mop button, a return to dock button, charging status option, um, like boost mode. And like, that's it. Like those are the only functionalities. Apple has dedicated teams. See a lot of, a lot of people like to talk like Apple has 11 people at, at, at the company that have to shuffle between products. They're like, well, Apple's so focused on Apple TV. They forgot to make the new iPhone, right? Like that's the comments I see often on social. No, they have thousands of employees that each have their own individual job. There is a person out there whose entire job is just home. <laughs> and I'm sure they have a whole team under them. The home is not one person, I promise. So uh, I agree with you, Andrew, that like someone is working on this, that this could happen very soon. This could be a 17.3 thing. Maybe maybe we'll see in beta 2, beta 3, beta 4, this pop up. Um, I'm hopeful that it happens, but Apple is also very weird about adapting and changing things. And maybe they have an entire home kit redesign planned for iOS 18, which I really would love to see a new home app, man. This one's nice. It's fine. And I like what they've done in recent years updating it, but it could, it could be so much more. Give me the ability to use AR kit to map my home and have it intelligently know where every device is, please. Cause like none of that is outside of Apple's current capabilities. I, what would that give me? I don't know, but it would be cool. Just make it happen. Give me, like that, Then I would have a 3D model of my house and I could click on a room. I don't know. Do it Jurassic Park style and zoom in onto each area. Um, but I, I, I'm with you, Andrew. I think uh, Apple Home has 
long needed new categories and matter is kind of pushing the issue here. And I don't think Apple wants to be the last to the table with this update. And um, especially if it wants people to stick with its system because you no longer have to with matter. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I think it's good. the biggest problem is going to be once they release products, Apple says, oh, sorry, we're not going to support this this specific version of Matter until September. So none, so even though we support Matter and all your Matter products work, except for some Matter products won't work, I don't think that's going to cut it. I, it there's been some of that in Matter already, but Apple has been quick to support Matter features. So we'll have to see, but we can talk about that on a different yeah. podcast because we have fun things to talk about executives getting caught saying dumb things. And that sounds fun. This episode is brought to you by Fastmail. Fastmail's emails, contacts, and your calendar all in one place. And it has easy importing and exporting from other email services. So whatever email you use, and you use email a lot, you can move to Fastmail. Now, I actually love email, but I don't love ending up on mailing lists that have no interest for me and I really don't love having to wade through message after message just searching for the things that I need to reply to now. Fastmail helps. Fastmail offers you and me folders for different projects, it's got labels and it has this array of swiping options. So you can swipe left or right on any email on the inbox but you can also long swipe or you can short swipe. There are four possible swipe actions immediately available to you. So with a swipe, you can delete a message, you can archive it, or you can just move it somewhere else. The idea is that getting an email out of your inbox, out of your way, is as fast and as easy as it can be. To learn more about Fastmail and their service, visit fastmail.com slash appleinsider for 10% off your first year and follow them on Facebook, X, Mastodon and LinkedIn. Thanks to Notion for supporting the Apple Insider podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by Notion and the new Notion Q&A feature. Now, I started using Notion just to see what the fuss was about. And over time, I've been using it as a repository for instructions to myself about certain projects. I mean, some of them are complicated, but most of them, they just have lots of bits and it's easy to forget some, especially on a project that you only do occasionally. And sometimes you know that the thing you need for a new project is really similar to something you did in an old one, if only you could find it again. Which is exactly why I am diving into the new Notion Q&A, which uses AI to help me. Notion AI can now give you instant answers to your questions using information from across your wiki, projects, docs and meeting notes. So when I've written something in Notion, written it somewhere in a note in some old project, I can ask Notion's Q&A about it and it finds what I need. Whatever I'm working on now in Notion, I can ask it about anything else and it gives me the answers right away. It's AI, but it isn't AI based on learning from other people's data across the world. It's AI learning from me about what I do and what I need, and it will do the same for you. Try Notion AI for free when you go to notion.com slash Apple Insider. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash Apple Insider to try the powerful, easy to use Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show notion.com slash apple insider and thanks to notion for supporting the apple insider podcast this this story is kind of silly we wanted to point it out because gm they shot them they shot themselves in the foot i don't know they they keep decided the other foot after they shot the other one already they're running out of limbs to shoot so they got rid of CarPlay, uh, and they they made their promise earlier this year that just they're ditching it. That 2024 vehicles, which come out in 2023, um, will no longer support CarPlay. They're going to use their own system. Funny enough, built on Google's platform, which isn't Android Auto. It's the other one that um, is a proprietary car manufacturer build that you have to work with Google to make, but it's still Android. Anyway, they're going to GM's going to introduce that in its place. And so we all knew that already and it's dumb, you know, everyone wants CarPlay and the other, everyone who isn't asking for CarPlay at the very least is asking for Android Auto. Um, so the, there's the, that's the entire pie. There's no, I don't think there's a 1% sliver of the pie that's like, yeah, let's do a manufacturer OEM style um, custom interfaces. That's what we're looking for over here. I don't think anyone's asking for that. So, cause GM is a, manufacturer 
of cars. They don't know software. They know, and I don't care how many people you hire. You're a car company. You're not going to be good at software. I mean, and even Tesla, as popular as it is, as many people as they do have worship it, I think it's an atrocious interface personally. Like it, it's, it does the job, big screen, little buttons. I don't know what's happening over there, but, um, anyway, just give the customers choice and they remove that choice. And, and so we all had our moment. We talked about it. Car plays no longer on GM. So we're all just going to buy whatever Honda from now on. And we were going to let it die, but then someone had to open their mouth. And this guy, uh, Tim Babbitt is the, uh, GM's head of product infotainment. Now, let me be clear. GM has since, and we added it to our article, uh, come out with a statement to distance themselves from the comment. This was Babbitt's comment, not GM's stance. So this is not GM's official company stance or policy or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> uh, that said, GM's head of product infotainment said this, so take it for what it's worth. Uh, he said, basically, CarPlay and Android Auto uh, are going away because of safety, which has never been mentioned before by GM in any of its documentation. It even had a two-page PDF about why it was getting rid of CarPlay, and none of it mentioned safety. And he he went into detail of CarPlay and uh, Android Auto are buggy, they're slow, they're unresponsive, especially on older devices, and users are now having to reach for their phone and creating unsafe environments for people on the road. So GM's solution will make it so no one has to reach for their phone because it isn't even involved in the infotainment system, period. And uh, yeah, that that seems like a very silly thing <laughs> to say for multiple reasons, but I'll let Andrew take this one. Wes knows, because as soon as like this new post came out, I'm like, oh, well, this, this is going up on our TikTok and our, our YouTube shorts and reels and everything like that, because I love the ones where I can just get, you know, really really annoyed really quickly for people saying dumb things and this is for sure it i mean who has used like an oem infotainment system and thought wow this is really fast and safe like no one has ever thought those things before and the fact that you're removing the phone from the equation whether or not you can have bluetooth access to pull up things like your contacts or your phone goes through the car removing all of the things from your phone this means you're you're just going to still pick up your phone like this is like inherently more dangerous following this guy's logic like it's just a an incredibly dumb statement to make and gm reaching out to us um uh, to west to clarify you know saying that these statements were misrepresented um and reiterating that their new strategy is driven by the benefits of having a system that allows for greater integration with a larger GM ecosystem and vehicles is also just dumb. Because first off, again, your head executive of that department said this. And then two, you're still trying to, you're pulling your way away from those comments, but you're not even, you're still not saying anything because CarPlay never replaced an infotainment system. It added that additional layer. You're still able to interact with your vehicle and the larger GM ecosystem. Like that would have never changed and people can still move between each of those individually without issue as everyone else already does. Let's just be real about what this is. This is GM wanting to make money off of your data. It wants to remove the control that Apple and Google have and the data that you're giving them um, and not giving GM. GM wants you to use its map app so that it can tell you where you are going or so it knows where you're going and it can sell that information. Well, and that's all this is about. So what's interesting here, so it is Android, so they actually specifically say you're going to use Google Maps, you can install Waze. Mm -hmm. um, but it's there, but so they know. You're right, though. But well, so so yeah. So this is the difference, because uh, just to clarify, when you're on CarPlay or Android Auto, you plug your phone into the car or wirelessly or whatever, and all the information is coming from your phone. So right now, because this is actually becoming an increasing concern with um, modern vehicles, and I don't I don't personally like it, but a lot of modern vehicles require cellular data plans and require you to have them permanently connected to the internet so that. And that connection is what lets them gather all this information. Not only can they see where you are, 
Um, so they can see where you go shopping. They can see when you're in a drive through for a restaurant. Um, they can see where you spend your time, uh, like where you park your car. Um, they have access to all that information, but they also have access to how fast you're going, how often you have to slam on your brakes. If you are rolling through stop signs, police can subpoena that, right? It's just, it's a, such a great invasion of privacy. Yes. Drive safely. That's what I'm saying. It's just such an, a great invasion of privacy because now these car manufacturers can have all of this and say, we're never going to do anything nefarious with it. Fine. But then they're going to sell it to advertisers because they don't see it as nefarious and they're going to submit to court subpoenas because the government and I would prefer drive a car with CarPlay and have my phone be in control of my location data and signal because that is the company I trust. That is the privacy contract that I have signed and I know what's happening and GM or whoever I'm driving gets none of it because they're not connected to my phone. The car gets to act as a dumb system. The way I think of it is, is it's just like, TV sets, the way they've gone. Cars are trying to become the new smart TV. Smart TVs, um, TVs now are so much more inexpensive because most of their um, revenue comes from scanning what you're watching on television and sending it back to headquarters so they can make money off of it and advertise to you or whatever. And they'll know if you watch an ad or uh, now they're selling TVs with ad TVs attached to it for, or whatever for free, right? Um, there's just all these icky systems that they're doing. Now car manufacturers saw that and they're like, we want a piece of that. We want to sell uh, a services package that lets you have access to the internet and special um, guidance systems or we want to... Uh, have subscription services. But on top of that, we want ad revenue. Every time you uh, put your car in park, we, we're going to show an ad for Dunkin' Donuts, right? Like this is the kind of stuff that they're thinking about. And it's icky. So the same philosophy I have with my televisions, I'm going to have with my cars going forward as much as is possible. Because sadly with TVs, I'm not driving them. I can unplug them from the internet uh, after a software update and never have them touch the internet again. That's possible. But with cars, probably not here soon, I'll, I want to buy electric and I almost guarantee you whatever electric car I buy will require me to be connected to the internet and will require them to be able to have access to that data because that is how they make their money. And that sucks for the consumer. And GM is taking it another step further by saying, you don't even have the option of taking away some of that data. We need all of your data. So it is absolutely about money. It's absolutely about, um, control. And it just seems so anti-consumer to me that I hope that everyone, just doesn't buy a GM car next year and that they have to reintroduce CarPlay to the system. Absolutely. Do you remember that um, that privacy report that Mozilla put out back in September? I don't know if you saw this. There's a little bit of Yeah, a, so that's kind of what I'm referencing. Exactly. It's just, There's, they have access to everything. Um, for anyone who wasn't familiar, Mozilla re reviewed 25 different car brands and 15 companies, and they found like Nissan has information in its privacy policy that you agree to by driving that car that says they are able to collect information about the driver and the passenger's sexual activity, intelligence, and health issues, and then sell that data to data brokers, law enforcement, or other companies. Like, and that's just one brand. Yep. Like, of course GM is in here too. And if you're wondering, yes, it does have a thumbs down rating from Mozilla uh, for its privacy policies for all the GM brands, which by the way, includes ones like Chevy. So it, many people are like, ah, oh, I'm never gonna buy a, you know, a GM vehicle or whatever, but make sure that like, people understand that that's, Chevy is a big brand, not just, you know, GMC or like Buicks. Now this is Chevy as well that is in that. Before I was iffy on Apple Car if only because I was like, it's going to be expensive. There's so many cars on the market. Why do we need it? But just like we need Apple routers, we need, we need Apple to be in the car business. Just like I need an Apple TV to connect to my now dumb television because I disconnected from the internet. I need the Apple version of that for vehicles because... My goodness, what's happening out there is just, it's awful. And, and it makes you want to kind of give up and just say, you know what, everyone can just have my data, but that's not the way to go. Because eventually, if it isn't being used against you in some way now, it can be. And that I know that sounds conspiratorial, but it's just, man, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to be a part of that future. I don't want to be a part of that, you know, advertisements following you around and, and everyone knowing everything you're doing. Just, we deserve privacy. Like, and, and I don't think companies are getting that. And I hope that Apple consumers can 
embrace that and and push for maybe some change and as and hopefully brands will exist that embrace that privacy standpoint that we can still have some optionality in it because right now it's looking a little bleak as far as uh, privacy is concerned and i know privacy died in like 2004 or whatever or just depending on who you ask it probably died in 1980 um and it's it's died many different deaths, but I mean I will fight this battle until there's no battle to fight anymore. It's it's just wild to me that every generation we're basically introducing new layers of complacency when it comes to privacy and data. And I'm just not I'm not here for it. But anyway, we have spent a very long portion of this podcast on two topics, Andrew. That's I think right. I think that means we are long winded. So <laughs> <laughs> who gave us an opportunity to speak? This is awful. William, where are you? He's not watching Ted Lasso. I can tell you that. So our next story, Beeper Mini. I just wanted to briefly discuss the next stage of Beeper Mini, what's happening here. Did you see this? Yes, I saw this. And I love that you can't even say Beeper Mini without like, like which part of the saga because there, there are chapters in this story. Right. So basically, anyone who's listening already knows, they made an app, let's Android do iMessage, immediately got shut down like within 24 hours, maybe maybe 48. I might be messing this timeline up a little bit. It was like three days. Very, very quickly, Apple was just like, nope, bye. Uh, and then they came back to life, but without support for phone numbers, now you have to sign up with email um, and that's where we are now. But yesterday evening, um, we we saw that people were already having issues. They were getting disconnected at seemingly random. And Beeper put out a statement saying Apple is deliberately going out of its way. Like, gosh, let me let me. It's so it's so funny. <laughs> Apple appears to be deliberately blocking iMessages from being delivered to five percent of Beeper Mini users. Um, and they adv- advise uninstalling and reinstalling the app, which somehow fixes the issue. But it's just, it's so funny to me the way they phrase it is Apple is deliberately, well, of course they are. They would prefer if you just shut down completely, like you don't actually need, sh- you shouldn't exist. Sorry, beeper, but you shouldn't exist. Um, you are operating very much in a legal gray zone that, um, if Apple wanted to could very quickly make your life very, very sad. So, um, I, I, I'm putting a timer on it. Uh, Andrew, uh, you put in your bets. I'm guessing by the next episode of Apple <laughs> Insider, Beeper will no longer be working. I I can believe that, but the question is, we'll be back up again with yet another workaround, or is that going to be the final? They're one? putting that high school student through a lot of uh, stress because I believe it is a high school student that figured out the in- initial um, way of getting around iMessage. So yeah, I don't know what they're doing over there, but um, it's the guy who made the Pebble watch. I love Pebble. Uh, I don't know what you're doing over there, but stop it. <laughs> maybe they're trying to get bought out by Apple. I've I've heard a few people thinking like, oh, well, maybe they'll do the thing where the Apple will be so impressed that they hacked around their systems, they'll buy them and let them make an Android app. That's not happening. I'm sorry, guys. Like the only thing on earth that will make Apple put any kind of iMessage equivalent on Android is regulation. And we're not there yet. So, and I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get to that point because even now the EU is kind of backing down on iMessage. So if you want blue bubbles, just buy an iPhone. I mean, sorry guys, I, I get it. But at this point, just, I don't know, be a green bubble or, or use WhatsApp. I, I, I'm not sure what to tell you because I don't think we're going to see interoperability here. RCS is a good middle step, but it will always be a middle step, but there, there, there's always going to be something on iPhone that isn't on Android to entice you to come over. That's the entire point. I don't think it's anti-consumer. I think it's competition. Android has things that Apple doesn't have that I don't see anyone really screaming about because I don't know, maybe people are just happy with their iPhones. Maybe this is a philosophical question. If you're so desperate for an Apple feature, maybe you're just unhappy with the phone that you have, right? But I'm preaching to the choir. This is the Apple Insider Podcast. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know, because I know there's a lot of little nuances to this, and it does frustrate me when texting, um, you know, the, the few people that I know that do that do use Android, and it is a, a subpar experience. And I do agree that that fault lies with Apple to some degree, because there was that standard as RCS sure. to remedy that. And, like, they're purposely making it difficult for those Android folks uh and for iPhone users, 
just because of you know, keeping it uh, iMessage locked down. But I also hate yeah. the idea. It's a competitive of, advantage, though. Yeah, and I hate the idea like, of regulation stepping like. Yeah. Seriously, it's like you, we made a feature good, and there's a feature like it, it's a it's built Google, up because of what it is, and just on iPhones. This wouldn't even be a discussion if Google succeeded at making a good messaging app, but they failed at making what six, seven different messaging platforms. Just gave up on them and threw them in the garbage without trying to actually iterate on any of them, and they keep just making more and more different chat systems that just fail because they're not good or never not adopted and apple came out of the gate it right place right time sure but it was good technology and it's encrypted and it's safe it basically stepped in where blackberry messenger was leaving apple was able to step in and take over that kind of mindset that field of users and it's they've never looked back and they've been able to iterate and add to the technology since if google was able to actually compete head-to-head with iMessage, it would be a different story because then Apple maybe would then be either equal playing field or the underdog and have to find a way to work with Google to make interoperability more of a priority. But because Apple is in the superior position, people are upset about that and expect them to step down from their well-earned position. Google's amazing at search. Should they step down and let Apple make a search engine, right? Or should, should Google and Apple have to collaborate on um, an Apple search engine so that Apple can compete better, right? Like take this to any part of Google systems and it, the argument starts to break down. People, you know, they, they tend to get so focused on what they want that they forget like what they're asking for. And, yeah, like Google's good at certain things. Apple's good at certain things. And they, they again, right place, right pl- right time for a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Google search is a perfect example of that. Um, would we expect any company who did really well, who succeeded at winning uh, capitalism, I guess, um, to step down and say, well, now we should let the second place guy have a little bit of fun. You know, it's unfair to him that he didn't get to be as successful as this one. That it's just, that's what I hear when I hear someone saying Apple should do a B C with iMessage. It's just like they made a great product. And this is the whole conversation around monopolies. Monopolies, by the way, are not illegal. They're just um, regulated differently. Uh, A lot of people get that conflated. So Apple doesn't have a monopoly on iMessage by any stretch, especially um, outside of the United States. And in the United States, iPhones are only 50% of the population. So we're talking about a tiny subset of people getting access to this great technology. Should that be available for everyone? That's a good question. But as long as Apple is in control, uh, the answer is no, because they own it. So I, I don't I don't understand why the discussion goes beyond that. We saw uh, Senator Warren, for example, stepping in saying Apple needs to do something about iMessage and put it on Android uh, because of antitrust or whatever nonsense. And it's just like, no, <laughs> that's not how that's just not how any of this works. That's not how consumer law works. So I don't know. Anyway, rant over. Uh, we do need to move on. We have a couple more topics before the end of our show. And uh, I'm sure people are dying to hear Andrew talk instead of me. So I wanted to ask you, Andrew, are you going to buy a set of USB-C AirPods case with sans AirPods? Um, I am not, but mainly because I did get the new USB-C versions and upgraded my wife. Oh, to why did I even ask? Of the, course <laughs> the lightning version of hers um, because she had, she had like, an, she had my OG AirPods Pro, and I think I upgraded the AirPods Pro too. And hers were starting to act funny and crackling, and they kept disconnecting. Mm. So hers were were due for an upgrade. And she also loses them uh, frequently. So I, I did give her the the Lightning one, which she was super thrilled about. And now she can use like Find My and all that. And I just right. got the new USB C ones. I called this. I'm surprised they didn't launch it at the beginning like they did with the other ones. But yeah, like of course they were going to sell a USB-C version of their case. It's a hundred bucks. I wasn't sure that this was going to be possible given the differences in technologies because there is a difference. Only only a small one, but only in the in the actual only in the earbuds. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that they made this work for people who are interested. I say just buy a new set of AirPods. They're on sale enough. You might even be able to get under $200 on the new AirPods Pro with USB-C. I'm going to buy a set eventually. I just haven't yet. Um, Mine are still fine. Uh, I will have a pair when, if, if, and when I get a vision pro, because I want to have that lossless uh, frequency. 
but um yeah this i just find, found it funny that apple finally released this for 99 whole dollars personally though i don't i still don't see like for for me at least like the USB-C never really made a big factor just because i still i've the, never charged them over type c it's still been magsafe so i haven't even used the the c charger in my phone i just magsafe no, like everything once. yeah i even bought like little rubber things to put inside of the USB-C port because i'm just not using it to make it like flush with the case more, but, uh, and just remove one more layer of possible water entry or whatever. Um, so it's just like, yeah, like why, why, why even bother? Uh, cause MagSafe's on the lightning case too. And AirPods are about a two to 2.5 year update cycle. So I could definitely see buying a new set of AirPods pro in 2020, uh, for just, just to have a new set and then donating mine down my family line. Uh, but that brings one last little question about AirPods, AirPods Max. They're certainly much older than um, two and a half years at this point. Um, are you going to get the new set when they come out with USB-C? It depends on if they do anything other than just add USB-C port. Uh, well, H2 chips. They, they, they're they not releasing sure. these without H2 chips. For yeah. sure. Um, I guess it more if they add any Maybe. other That H2 features. could be interesting for um, it. Like, I, I do yeah. think they're going to add the H2. It's going to have the lossless audio when connected to Vision Pro, and it's going to have the the automatic uh, audio, the volume adjustment, custom personalized audio adjustment, volume adjustment. It's going to have uh, awareness mode or whatever where it'll change the adaptive audio mode. That's the one that'll change based yeah. on your surroundings. Like it'll have all of those things. But I kind of like I still want another case for it than what they're shipping with it. Um, even the top I don't love. Like it looks really nice, but I've seen so many people's pictures that getting really messed up and getting I don't weak know what and they're stretched doing with that. out. Maybe maybe they're throwing it in a bag or something because like mine's still in pretty good condition. Right, because there's no because there's no real case. I use mine just at home and I just travel with AirPods for lightness sake. But yeah, I don't take AirPods Max with me places. Maybe if I was on an airplane, I would take them, but I'm, I'm not traveling with AirPods Max usually. I don't know. I really like them, and I like that they're an overset that has all the features of AirPods, but I think they need, they need to do a little bit more to convince me on a second-generation unit other than just giving it feature parity. Like, it's like, cool, you literally spent, like, this came out way too late just to add the exact features that you've already had for a year on your other headphones. Um, I'd like to see something a little bit more innovative, um, or they're just still going to feel stale out of the gate because there's no, literally the features are a year old on their other headphones. Right. I, I think they'll do, well, H2 introduces the opportunity to do more and these being over your headphones could do more and they could add better microphone support. There's, there's things that can happen here. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, once they arrive, maybe they'll give us bendable earpieces. I, I, I don't know. One last thing, because uh, we are running out of time, but uh, lightning round a little bit. I, speaking of Vision Pro, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about the Vision Pro. Have you been recording spatial video with your iPhone? Yes. Basically, since they yeah. um, since they came out with that hands-on, and I read like Gruber's thing about like uh, how cool those spatial videos looked and how we felt like really transported back to those moments. I kind of decided, like, I'm I'm going to start recording what I can in spatial video because of the fact, like, say I don't get the OG of Vision Pro, which I probably will, but say I don't, and say you're, say you're you know, an average tech person who's not sold on it yet, and this first one's really expensive, and there's rumors that we're going to have a cheaper unit in, you know, a year or two after this launch, um, and you're waiting for those. How amazing is it going to be when you pick up one of those units in two, maybe even two years and you've got two years worth of spatial video already recorded that you can right. relive. So for me, panorama photos and spatial videos, I'm now taking much more of since that kind be of hands-on was released. Yeah. I should have taken spatial video while I was in Gatlinburg. It completely left my brain. I just wasn't thinking about technology. Um, while I was there, but, uh, definitely something I need to start practicing is just record even just short little videos. Um, they don't have to be particularly massive, but yeah, that's, that's something to do. And if you are recording spatial video right now and you happen to have like a meta quest or other headset, there are ways, um, uh, people have been working on ways to basically, uh, like port that. Yeah. They figured out the package contents. Yeah. They figured out the package contents of this spatial video and are able to convert them to other formats. I think there's an app on iOS called spatialify or something like that. I 
I'm not sure the name, but you should be able to find it pretty easily that converts spatial video into other formats that you can go ahead and start viewing it. I don't think it's a perfect conversion and I'm 100% certain um, Vision Pro will have a specific algorithm system to use that package better. So the videos are definitely gonna appear better on Vision Pro than anywhere else. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to check it out to try it on Vision Pro. I'm going to get one at some point, hopefully at launch, but we'll see because there might be iPads coming out that same like week at this point. Um, and that would make me very sad inside if uh, I have to choose between Vision Pro and iPad, but I will get the iPad yeah. over Vision Pro because I need it for work. <laughs> um, I think so really that quick. brings us to our last, that brings us to our last question. Uh, so I guess you already kind of answered it. So are you, are you trying to get vision pro right when it launches? I think so. Tentatively, you know, depending on kind of how things line up, we're looking at a January to March launch window right now. Yeah. And so this is, this is a little tidbit, right. That I, that I heard from again, someone kind of in the supply chain area with knowledge on stuff. Um, they say the the Vision Pro kits are arriving in Apple stores on 1.5. So German had said, and I had heard this again too back in like October timeframe, but Apple's actually going to be shipping out um, like a couple people from each store to Cupertino to do like a couple day training session on the Vision Pro. Um, employees are very eager, obviously, to get chosen for this, to get out, to be like the training person for everyone in their store. So they're going to fly them out there and then... Um, I believe on 1.5, uh, they're going to get these Vision Pro kits in the stores when we don't know what that means completely yet. Like, I don't know if that means like, okay, just gonna be like kind of the hardware that's going to be necessary to set these up when they get closer to launch. I don't know if that means they're going to put up like, you know, demo kit, like on the wall, kind of like how they have a HomePod mounted on many walls and it just sits there and kind of shows the things they could do. Maybe they're going to have something that's similar for Vision Pro. It's going to sit in the middle, light up the outside screen really nice and pretty. And there's going to be, you know, examples all around it of stuff that you can do with Vision Pro just to get people hyped. But yeah, I think they're, they're going to be focusing this launch so much to kind of help get people understanding what it does. They've already been doing that with that spatial video hands-on. They just mm -hmm. launched like last month or whatever. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm getting more and more this excited as we get closer to launch. This, this is probably the first Apple product that requires extensive user education. By the time iPhone came out, people kind of understood phones, even if they only had a flip phone, the concept of a phone wasn't you know, abnormal to them, especially ones that could connect to the internet is relatively understood. Apple watch, same thing. You've worn a watch before. You've probably worn even a smartwatch before and Apple watch. Here you go. It's just your iPhone on your wrist and like iPad, big iPhone, Max, they're computers. I don't know. It's just, we've never seen something with such a unique paradigm, uh, interaction paradigm. Yes. VR headsets exist, but they usually have controllers um, or uh, a lot of setup um, that is very different. The Vision Pro is just so many different things. The way the visors uh, connect, the way the uh, you need prescription lenses and have to literally pair them within the software, uh, eye scanning, gestures. The gestures are going to be a big part of it. So many people, if they bought this, ordered it, and had it delivered to their home, would not know the first thing to do with it out of the box without watching a bunch of videos. But how many consumers take the time to actually learn the product that they bought? They usually just want to slap it on their face and, and get going. And uh, it just won't work that way with this one. This is going to be an interesting one to see how people react to it. Um, but it being so expensive, I think, serves two purposes. A, it's expensive um, to make, and it's the first iteration. But B... It's keeping the casuals away for now. Um, and at least the people who are most interested in learning are also the ones most interested in spending the money. So it, it should be a fine turnover. It's just Apple is very much trying to control the narrative here and doesn't want too many bad experiences getting out in the wild. So, I mean, they've also refined the uh, process a whole lot. So so I was at DubDub right. for the original launch and like the launch that they, they demoed at DubDub has now almost completely evolved based on what I read about the new demos that they just gave out. Like the whole onboarding process has been like much more streamlined and simplified. And I think it's going to be continued to refine. And we just got, I think, beta six of the Vision Pro, um, you know, operating system and everything. So it, it's going to continue get, to get tweaked and modified. And I'm excited. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll uh, have you back on so you can mean you can do a um, podcast wearing the vision he pro headset 
uh, and have our spatial, what is it, our personas uh, exactly. represent us yeah. in a video. That'll be a lot of fun. But um, Andrew, where, where can people find you on the internet? All over the internet. They can find me on Twitter slash X, uh, Andrew underscore OSU. You can find me on Threads at Andrew Hera 941. You can find me on YouTube under my own name or on, you know, Apple Insider uh, or HomeKit Insider. I got the HomeKit Insider podcast that Wes was nicely uh, able to join me on this week. So thank you again, Wes, for doing that. Yeah, so you, you're hearing this. Yeah, you're hearing this episode of Apple Insider on Friday. The HomeKit Insider podcast I was on will be airing Monday. So keep your ears open for that. So if this wasn't enough of us talking, do it again, but with different topics in a couple days. And uh, yeah, so I believe that's everything. You can find me on uh, the various socials. I'm really only active on Mastodon, but I do have threads and Twitter. If you want to send me a notification, I'll see it. Otherwise, uh, Mastodon, you can find my work on Apple Insider and... Um, yeah, listen to the Apple Insider Daily podcast, HomeKit Insider, um, uh, for more of your Apple news. And you can support us on Patreon or subscribe in the Apple Podcast app. And please uh, go give us five stars or 500 stars, whichever uh, button you can find to click, and give us a good review and let us know what you thought of the show. And uh, please reach out and let us know if you're buying a Vision Pro and tell me your secret hacky thing on how to break the new um what is theft protection stolen feature device for, protection uh, stolen device protection i cannot remember that name for some reason long <laughs> thanks for listening everyone <laughs>